joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous. And today we are going to learn from Dr. Beth Generis about something very, very special. We're going to, we're going to learn about um, how we can partner with mindfulness to have a better life. Now, let me tell you about Dr. Generis. She holds three graduate degrees in business counseling and oriental medicine. She has spent 20 years as a psychotherapist, with 14 of those years being um, as a strategic management consultant and eight years as an acupuncturist. Her vast and impressive education includes, again, oriental medicine, acupuncture, jumping theory, cognitive behavioral therapy, gestalt therapy, just to name a few. And what this does is allow her to bring her unique blend of complementary methodologies and techniques into her practice so that she can help her clients be better, do better, feel better, and and be successful with all that they're doing. Now, um, she is an author of Turning No to On, The Art of Parenting with Mindfulness, and Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness. So with that, I'm going to say welcome to the show, Dr. Beth Janiris. How are you? Hi, Rochelle. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on this show, and I just want to, I just, you know, this sounds so interesting, and of course, I'm all about um, mindfulness and, and know the beauty of it, uh, being an Ayurvedic health practitioner. Um, so when I saw this, I just thought, oh, this is just going to be such a yummy, yummy show. I want to preface it the audience saying, um, if you feel compelled, just take this time as you're listening to the show to really just sit back and relax and enjoy the information that's going to be shared with you um, by Dr. Beth. Um, it's it's something that, you know, if you're busy doing stuff, you are obviously not practicing the art of mindfulness. And so if you can just take this time or a little bit of time and just sit back and relax and just absorb the essence of what she's going to share with us, you will benefit tremendously from it. So let's just jump into, you know, you wrote a book called Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness. What exactly does you, what exactly do you mean by turning me into we? What does that mean? So I wanted to just comment that I think this is a perfect set for you and I to be talking about this together because your idea of optimal health and your Ayurvedic medicine um, practice totally assists you in fully understanding exactly what I'm talking about here with me to we. The idea is that we we start out as children being dependent on our parents and so we create sort of a me style of relationship where we are dependent in nature. We're more takers than givers, and we can be in fear of losing that partner. There's almost a codependent style. Of course, it's correct because we need our parents. Then in adolescence or young adulthood, we sort of move into an independent style of relating, which is to say that we can take care of ourselves, but we're not necessarily going to be interdependent. We're not going to have an um, interreaction or interaction between the other and ourselves. We're sort of going to take care of all of our stuff. And that's much more competitive. The first one is much more narcissistic in nature. And then this last style of being in relationship has to do with we. And it has to do with this collaborative, cooperative, 
interdependent style of relating. And if you if you think about it, it's that idea that we want to be balanced. We want to both give and take in relationship. We want our individual selves to grow and we want our partnerships or our couplehood to be very powerful as well. So this idea is to move from being more narcissistic or competitive into this collaborative style of relating. Oh, I love that. Oh, that just sounds perfect for today and um, <clears throat> for this moment in time because it's so true. We we are, you know, you start off as a we, then you go into a me, and a lot of times people stay stuck in the me and, and need to realize that they got to get back to the we so that you can have this beautiful collaborative effort, you know, not just for yourself and your, your niche or your family, but, you know, for everyone. It just makes everything so much more beautiful. Now, you know, I know about mindfulness. I am a certified meditation specialist and, you know, um, as well, and, and just really, let me see, absorb the, the energy with being mindful. But for our listeners out there, can you just touch on exactly what that means, mindfulness? You bet. So the concept is that um, we want to be knowing who we are, not just from how things are reflected back to us, but also from an interior source within us. And in order to develop an idea of who we are and how we want to be in relationship, we have to have some of what you said at the very beginning of this this conversation. We kind of have to sit back. We have to take information in. We have to be observing. We have to be receiving. We have to have a, a way of taking in information without judging it on its way in. We may later make a determination about what we think about that information, but if we can allow ourselves to just take in the information and be in a centered and neutral state, we have a much better idea of how we can identify what is best for us. So mindfulness comes from psych background, psychological theory, many of the theorists that are very popular in um, psychological theory are mindful in nature. They talk about listening and paying attention to your inner self. Um, They talk about staying in the present moment and observing information, using tone that is neutral. Um, And in fact, it also comes from Buddhist practices, Ayurvedic practices, Chinese medicine. All of them talk about this concept of being balanced. And when we are in relationships, sometimes we have a reactivity in relationship. We want the other person to act a certain way. We remember historical fights, and so we're reacting as if those fights are still going on. Maybe we've been injured in relationships, so we bring the habits of that earlier injury into the current relationship. And as a result, we're not being in the now. We're not utilizing mindfulness and how we're relating with the person right in front of us. So mindfulness is really important if we're trying to move out of being sort of narcissistic or competitive or um, fearful into a collaborative, open, prosperity relationship. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Because the next question is, with regards to mindfulness, how does it assist in creating these successful relationships that, you know, so many of us experience and and so many people seek to experience? Right. So part of this idea is that we want to relate in the present moment rather than in history. And if you have a significant amount of conflict, you can sometimes have unresolved conflict that comes into play when there are disagreements. Also, we have a tendency to be Uh, very busy in our culture, and so we're doing lots of multitasking, which takes us away from mindfulness. We can mishear what people are saying. We can misinterpret what they're saying. And mindfulness engages this idea of getting into the now, paying attention, and looking at the person with whom you're interacting from a whole perspective. So if a person is being unkind to you, even abusive, and you are accurately assessing that, then you need to get out of that relationship. However, if you have a history of some sort of trauma and you are interpreting the person in that way, and yet that is your interpretation but not reality, then you need to use some sort of paradigm shifting um, and be willing to 
shift how you're interacting with that person and you use mindfulness to do that. You say, now this person loves me. Why would they be trying to be mean to me? And it assists you in bringing yourself into the now. You can even talk about the earlier trauma with that partner and then change ways in which you interact with each other or how you get into interactions or how you can take a break in those interactions. So would you say that practicing this art of mindfulness or practicing mindfulness actually can help one um, to actually succeed aspects of their life? I, I believe that it can help a person in every aspect of their life. It can help in how they create prosperity, um, how they trust the environment, how they interact with family members, historical family members, like family of origin members, as well as mm-hmm. current partners current relationships, children, it brings you into the now and you're looking at that person right now and what they're trying to communicate. And it helps you dissolve old trauma and not have it continue to interact or make you react to your environment. Mm. That, you know, that is so special. I mean, just those words alone are so special um, because it really is so beneficial to to all of us. Now, again, going back to, you know, our own personal development and and how um, we are all here, you know, especially those listening to the show are listening because they do really want to enhance their lives and, you know, have less stress. And the show is called Blissful Living. And so, of course, I know mindfulness can definitely, it's a really definite key component in all of us living a blissful life. But with regards to our personal development, how can that help us succeed or propel us forward on that per, on our quote-unquote personal development path? Well, one of the things that happens is that we tend to um, see our opportunities based on either what we perceive as our assets or our limitations. And mm. if what we perceive as our limitations are something that aren't really true about the now, They're true about perhaps when we were children or the last relationship we were in or 10 years ago, but they're not actually true about them now. We are limiting ourselves in our own personal development. And so Mm. the use of mindful meditation, the use of paradigm shifting and looking at things from different perspectives, using positive mantras, positive inversion of the negative self-talk, all of these things assist us in saying, oh, wait, That may not be true about me today. I see how it was. I see how it may have even helped me to act in that way back in the day, but it's not actually helping me move forward toward my goals, toward bliss, toward blissful living in the now. Mm, I like that. I I, I mean, gee, I'm liking everything you said, but that's because I'm biased because I know it works and I know it has profound positive benefits. And it and it seems like it's something so foo-foo or so woo-woo or, you know, so simplex, and it is. But sometimes it's often the most simplest things that have the most effects on our lives and how we, how we you know, go forward. Now, you mentioned something, and you mentioned it a couple times, and I just want to make sure that listeners are um, – enlightened about it. You mentioned paradigm shifting. Can you just tell the listeners what exactly that is and how you you can do that? Oh, you bet. So paradigm shifting is a concept that started out um, in science about, oh, I don't know, maybe in the 60s. And there was a man who wrote a book, and he talked about how scientific revolutions happened as a result of paradigm shifting, that indeed the the new paradigm sort of swallows whole the old paradigm because as you can see things from a different perspective, the old paradigm doesn't fit anymore, or at least we understand that it's just a perspective, a perception, right? And so um, that was one of the beginning concepts, and they talked about it a lot in psychology, that if you have two people who are having an argument and they are each coming from their own perspective, they are each right. However, they're, not, they're also both wrong because from the other's perspective, they're wrong. And so this idea of paradigm shifting is saying I need to understand my perspective, the paradigm that drives the way that I see the world, 
And then I need to see the other person's paradigm, their perspective, what drives how they see the world. And then I have to be able to move between those two paradigms or we have to negotiate or integrate our paradigms so that we're coming from the same place. And in relationship, one of the biggest problems is people get into conflicts where each person believes they're correct and believes the other person is wrong, and they get to a standstill. This happens in relationships. It happens in partnerships. It happens between mothers and children. It happens between countries. And the concept here is to say, if we were to say they're both right and they're both wrong, now we have to decide what do we want together as a team? What do we want to believe? So then you start to look at this concept of paradigm shifting. Now there's a visual that's really helpful. I'm going to try to give the visual, and hopefully it'll come across. This oh, visual, yeah, please do. Yeah. Yeah. There's this visual. There's a couple. I'm going to use one. Um, there's a visual of two uh, profile faces that are facing each other, and as they face each other, they're outline make this interior picture of a candlestick. So you can either see the two profile faces or you can see the candlestick. And so this is this idea of figure and ground and that two paradigms are there. Two perspectives show two different pictures. Another lovely example is a picture of a bunny that is facing to the right and his ears are back. They're back, straight back. Now, it looks like a bunny from the right. But if you look at this picture from the left, it looks like a duck. And they are so dramatically different that you can understand how two people can be looking at the exact same thing and have two different perspectives and both be correct, but both be incorrect. And it assists mm. the person starting to see, oh, so I just need to look at it from your perspective, try to understand your perspective, and then i got to try to explain my perspective. And then let's see if we can find an integrated perspective that moves us forward in a holistic way. So that's this idea of paradigm shifting. Mm. Mm. So listeners out there, keep, keep tuning in because she just is going to give us a lot more to help us um, with all of us today. I just, I, I have like 9,000 questions all surfacing in my head all at once, but I'm going to slow it down and become mindful and take a <laughs> quick deep breath. Um, you know, with re- okay, so with regards to paradigm shifting and being mindfulness, how does this affect our, our thoughts and um, our communication? Okay, so as you know... I should say thought patterns and our communication patterns, so to speak. Absolutely. So as you know, how we see the world is who we are. So we develop our perspective, our belief systems from our earlier um, development, and sociology talks about this a lot. So your social structures, the, the, the groups that you belong to as a young person, help you to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is how the world works. It's a function of the group that you belong to. And we swallow this and we agree with it because that's all we know. Then we go out into the world and we can begin to question that. Well, maybe I don't agree with that all the time. I've had some other experiences. Maybe I'm going to start to change what my belief systems are, and therefore I see the world differently. Now, we've all had this experience. If you learn a new word, all of a sudden you see that word everywhere, Before you knew the word, you didn't see it anywhere. You'd never heard of it before. But then once you learn the word, you see it everywhere. Well, this is the same with paradigm shifting. We, once we see one way that we've been seeing in the world and then we see the other perspective, we begin to see it everywhere and we understand how these two interact with each other. So paradigm shifting and this idea of how you interact and how you see the world has to do with your thought patterns. You may think something like, I am not very successful, and I'm going to bring up all my examples of how I'm not very successful. And yet, if you say, oh, wait, there's these other 16 ways that I've been very successful. I'm just not successful in this one limited place. Then you start to change your view of yourself. I am successful, and I'm successful when these things are going on, and I have trouble, and I'm less successful when these other things are going on. So you begin to integrate what plays into your success. So it changes 
your thought patterns. There's a, a belief system that we have a, an interaction with others that is energetic. So if we expect something to be a certain way, we have a tendency to see what we expect. And there have been a lot of studies scientifically that our brain does this on purpose. It tends to complete patterns in ways that we are familiar. And so if we start to change what our expectation is, we can actually see more of that more positive shift. So that's one way the thought patterns affect. Another thing that you asked about is the communication. If we communicate in a way that is negative, harsh, maybe we have a lot of self-talk to ourselves, a lot of fear involved, or maybe we are defensive, we actually limit and interfere with the process of collaboration, and we also interfere with our capacity to experience bliss, right? So if we're wanting to create more bliss, we want to have more openness and compassion and readiness for the bliss to come our way. So I call this trying to encourage people to have an attitude of gratitude. Yes, this bad thing happened, but maybe there's a good reason for it. Maybe this bad thing brought me this gift which helped me develop this wonderful skill. So it's really an attitude of gratitude, not just for the things that are obviously happy, but also for things that are unhappy, but perhaps positive for us in the end. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I I really, 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 really like that. Um, God, I'm saying that a lot. (laughs) Just because this this topic or this subject really resonates with me, and I've seen the shift that can occur when people begin to practice the art of mindfulness or, you know, really begin incorporating some of the stuff into their life. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. and It could be just simple little things, you know, like just, you know, practice in a minute a day or whatever, but it's just so it has just such positive benefits for us in every aspect. That's what's so unbelievably incredible that it's, you know, the positivity that comes from it in every aspect of our life um, is just beyond words of profoundness. So, of course, I love I love what you're saying. Now, I just want to ask you, because I know sometimes, and, and these are questions that I get a lot of times with regards to, you know, mindfulness. Um, is it the same as being aware? And if, if it is, great. And if not, what's the difference? So it is an increased awareness. We are going to increase our awareness when we're being mindful, of course. But it's mm-hmm. also this sort of interesting lack of attachment. So I'm increasing my awareness, but I'm not being an attorney. I'm not trying to prove my point. I'm just saying, oh, I noticed that happening over there. Oh, interesting, that's happening over there. So it's sort of an interested, neutral observation without judgment, without defensiveness or reactivity. And one of the things I was going to say earlier is that there are certain ways in which we can communicate that increase our capacity for mindfulness. When we ask the question, why did this happen, what I have noticed is that people stopping in the present moment and they kind of go into their heads and they start Mm -hmm. thinking and they sort of leave the area. They go back to some past experience. They're not bringing it back into the moment. And so what I encourage people to say is something like, what is going on? How can I help you? What just happened? Or let's say somebody starts reacting negatively to you. What did you hear me say? Not what's wrong with you, but what did you hear me say? Because I didn't intend to upset you and you're clearly upset. So what did you hear me say? Right. So these ideas bring us into the moment. They're mindful. You have a neutral style. I'm trying to investigate here. What did you hear me say? I'm interested. I care. I feel that maybe I didn't communicate well. Let me own my lack of communication well or let me clarify what I said. These sorts of styles of sort of bringing it down into the moment in this this kind of neutral, uh, investigative, curious way helps people move out of defensiveness and move into solution-focused interactions, which will only bring us bliss and and prosperity. Oh, Oh, just mm, 
yummy, yummy. Oh my gosh, my 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 head is bubbling with effervescence um, because it's just you're, you're allowing me to click on all cylinders with this information and. Um, and that's why I wanted people just to sit back and relax. And if you guys want to take notes, you can. But, you know, really just sit back and relax and, and just absorb in the information that um, Dr. Beth has given to us is, is really, really going to enlighten you um, and inspire you because it's just, it's just simple to do, but it has such, again, profound benefits in all aspects of our life. So now let's go back to, okay, so, you know, sometimes, you know, we talked about um, the thought patterns and the communication patterns and, you know, the paradigm shifting and, and how that can really help us with our, you know, having effective communication and allowing us to um, really hone in, so to speak, and streamline our thought process so that it's more effective. But, um is there anything that you would recommend with regards to bringing awareness um, to us of the changes that may arise within us with regards to the utilization of how we talk or words we use? For instance, let me just give you a scenario. Um, someone's in a meeting. They're in a, you know, a meeting with their peers or colleagues or even their bosses or something, and the communication process that the bosses use are, you know, can be quite harsh and uh, you know, quite, mm, I want to say demoralizing sometimes because that does happen. Um, is, there, is there a tool or technique with regards to being aware or mindful when that person has to respond back, respond back to saying they're being criticized or they're being really hammered on for whatever the case may be? Is there, is there a tool or, or something that they can use to, first of all, to be to bring awareness to you know how they're feeling and stuff, and then to effectively and mindfully communicate so that they don't come back, you know, like how they want to lash out, like the the mama lion protected her baby cubs. Um, is there anything that that you can share with us that would help us all when we're in situations like that? Oh, absolutely. So the great thing about mindfulness that, and and this idea of increased awareness is that. One of the things that happens when you've been doing some mindful meditation and you've been practicing bringing yourself to center, bring yourself to neutrality, is that you feel better all the time. You feel more balanced. And so when someone begins to be speaking to you in a way that is not mindful and is not necessarily hateful, but it is perhaps demanding, perhaps criticizing in a way that's unfair, you will notice within your own body a number of different cues that you have been, you're feeling attacked. You might notice that your head starts to hurt or that you feel a heat rising up in your body. You might notice that your throat gets a little tight or that you're breathing faster or that even um, uh, you get tense. You might feel a little tension. All of these things indicate to you because you're going to be in a more balanced state to begin with so these will be changes, and you'll notice this, and you'll say, oh, I'm feeling defensive. That, you'll know that. I'm, I'm feeling defensive, and why am I feeling defensive? Well, I'm feeling this defensiveness because this person is indeed attacking me. Now, the next step is, does this person intend to be attacking me, or do they feel stressed themselves? Uh, did they not have their coffee or whatever? Do you, try, do you need to neutralize that attack? In other words, it's not that they intend to be attacking you, but they themselves have a, a poor style of communicating. Or mm-hmm. is this a dangerous situation? So if it's a dangerous situation, you're going to need to come up like mom bear and protect yourself, okay? But if it's not a dangerous situation and the person has just got poor communication skills or they themselves feel stressed in some way, you want to respond in your most neutral style. You want to be able to say, I can, I can hear and feel and see that you're really upset about this situation. And I want to be clear with you that I also am upset about this situation and I want to also let you know that I, I want to let you know that I'm not the person who created this situation and I'm willing to work with you to solve it and, I, and I'd like us to be able to do it in a way that isn't attacking Okay, that's one way mm-hmm. you can go. If the person is being critical and they're saying you did this wrong, sometimes you may actually have to say, 
I am sorry. I am sorry that I upset you and that you feel I've done this incorrectly. I see what you expected. I did not understand that at the time that it was given to me. Let's look at another way that we can interact with each other so that I do understand clearly what you're looking for, etc. So what happens is once you know that you're feeling attacked, you have to first identify whether it's somewhere you have to respond as if it's a fight or a war, or do you let it go? One of the things that I feel we do too much is get into these fights, and I feel that it's important that we let that go because most wars are started by the responsive, defensive person, not the person who started the fight, right? We, As children, we're told if somebody hits you, it's okay if you hit them back. But in this new style of interacting, we want to see if indeed the issue is that the person is just upset and we can find a neutral place to respond. So we let the first one go by. It's kind of like karate or aikido. We let the first one go by and we try to neutralize and get to that middle space because we assume, we take this place of assumption, that we're working together. It's not a war. So if it's a war, we have to immediately respond. But if it's not a war, then we want to see if we can let it go and move the other person and ourselves into a neutral space. Oh, beautifully said. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so, uh, wow. You're fabulous. That's that's all I got to say is you see. Oh, you're, you're so just, sweet. Thank you. You're, you're just fabulous. I mean, you're, you're putting it, what you're sharing is um, stuff that we all can use and we can all benefit from, but you're putting it in such a way that just makes it like, oh, it's like, you know, you go to the, um, okay, here's my, my thing, go into the gourmet cupcake shop and I want every cupcake, knowing doggone well I can't have every cupcake, but you know, from the information you're giving to us, it's like I can choose to select the most special cupcake that's talking to me at that moment and feel good about that and know that I'm aware that that cupcake is talking to me, know that I'm aware that I don't need to have all the cupcakes and know that I'm aware and being mindful of the fact that um, I'm okay with my decision and I can move forward with grace and ease and walk out of that cupcake shop with my fabulous cupcake and get back to my car and really enjoy it and really be aware and mindfully aware of how yummy it tastes without having any guilt or any, you know, any um, negative feelings about my choices and, and the decision I made. So it's just so, it's like you're saying stuff and it's like, God, it's so simple to do. And, you know, it's just a matter of us doing it and just start you know, incorporating a little bit of it at a time into our lives. And, and, and you just make it, it seem like it's just so easy. And because of that, I know we can all do it. You, you are absolutely right. We can all do it. And in reality, most of us do it under non-stressful situations. It's when we're stressed yeah. that we tend to lose our capacity for mindfulness. And so the but, things that stress us are feeling guilty, like you just said, about the cupcake, feeling guilty uh-huh. or feeling like we might make the wrong choice, that will stress us. But also there are physical stressors, when we don't get enough sleep, when we're overworked, when we're tired, when we're hungry. You know how sometimes we have to work through our lunch hours. Well, we're going to have more arguments if we're not taking care of ourselves. And as an Ayurvedic practitioner, you totally know that. It's very important that we treat ourselves in a balanced way, and then we can be balanced in how we interact with others. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's it, what you're saying is just awesome. So I'm I'm just going to quit talking and just um, continue with our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful conversation. Now, um, with regards to basically enhancing our communication skills and, and being mindful and being aware and, and utilizing the tools of paradigm shifting, um, I'm going to just say, how would, how would someone do that, you know, away from the context of a working relationship with, you know, their boss or whatever, but just applying, applying that stuff into our everyday personal lives, personal relationships, you know, whether you go to the bank or the grocery store, or, you know, all that stuff, and you, you, you come across all these people. How, how can we successfully utilize what you're sharing with us in just our everyday lives? 
Well, so if we were going to talk about, let's say, um, we're going to be paying some bills on the telephone, and we call mm-hmm. the uh, the digital uh, TV person, and we say, oh, we need to pay our bill. And let's say we're late. And so we're feeling a little bit stressed about it, but we're going to pay our bill. And the person on the other end of the phone, it feels as if they're trying to pick a fight with us. Now, they may be stressed themselves, right? And so one of the things that we can do, rather than being defensive toward that other person, is to say, look, I, I'm really stressed, and I know my tone might not sound great because I'm a little bit stressed, so I apologize for that, but I'm not trying to pick on you. Um, so let's see if we can move forward without it being difficult. Or we might be fine, and the other person sounds really stressed. And we can say, do you know that your voice is really loud right now? Do you know you've raised your voice? Because I would prefer that we don't have an argument around this. I'm just trying to gather some information, and if I've said something that's upsetting, I'm not attempting to do that. However, I do need some information from you. So part of it is to comment on where we are and comment on what we hear and check in with the other person to see if they intend to be that way. And that's one way that you can do that out just in the general world. When it, we're talking about our love relationships, like mm-hmm. we're talking about our um, uh, partners, our lovers, our children, one of the things to do when they keep doing the same thing over and over again, so we just rise immediately to being angry because they've now done what they've always done, um, one of the things to do is to say, now, is this really that big a deal? So let's say you come home and you've had a very long day's work and your partner um, leaves his shoes right there and then his clothes, all this stuff everywhere. And now you're tripping all over it and you're going to have to pick it up. You might feel mad about it. So what I encourage people to do is to say, well, did they do that to be mean to you or did they just have a terrible day and or, or do they have a little bit of attention deficit disorder, and how can you interact with them in a way that is helpful? Do you want to pick the shoes up yourself and put them away and then remind them that they did it? Do you want to remind them that they're there and invite them to put them away? How do you want to move about that in a mindful way? Because you're looking at the person from a whole perspective, right? Not just, oh, there's those shoes again. We've talked about it 50 times. Why are they still there? (laughs) But rather... Okay, now we've talked about it 50 times. He said that he would put them away. I wonder what else might be going on that he's left them there again because I know he's not trying to be mean to me. You have to be willing to say that to yourself. You have to say, he's not actually trying to mess with me. He just left them there, right? I'm doing okay, that so way because I'm, I'm I'm just going inter- to interject here because I, yeah. I, I definitely can relate to the shoes with my husband. <laughs> so... Um, what happens after the 35th time that he's left them there? And I've told him 34 times before. <laughs> right. Right. So the thing is this. So my, I've been with my husband about, <laughs> I don't know, 20 years, and the shoes are, like, amazing, right? That's the reason I use the shoes because it's constantly yes. something yes. I've had to deal with, right? And yes. so what I when it first happens, sometimes he'll take his shoes off and he's just relaxing, and I see them there. And, like, maybe we've gone to have dinner you know, gone into the dining room, we've had dinner, then we come back and there are the shoes. And I'll, I'll say, honey, your shoes are there. Can you please bring your shoes up, right? I might say it right then. But let's say I find him there and, you know, he's in bed and I'm turning off the lights and I'm making sure the doors are locked and I'm going to sleep and there they are, there are the shoes, you know, or I trip over him as I'm getting into bed, right? Those two times are much more frustrating to me because I I feel like I'm sort of tired by then myself, and I I don't have a lot of objectivity. I'm having a little bit of difficulty being in balance. You know, I'll feel mad, and I have to say to myself, did this person do this on purpose? What else did this person do that day? For example, I know my husband works really hard, and he is not trying to be mean to me. So I'm able to say to myself, this is not him trying to be mean to me. This is him forgetting to put his shoes up. Now, I can either leave him there and tell him in the morning, or I can move them myself. But if I move them myself, I make a deal with myself that I'm not going to stay mad about it. Because that that conflict, that unresolved conflict is really negative for relationships. So we want to get to a place where we're not in unresolved conflict. We want to get to an agreement with each other. Um, and so for me, I can help myself with those shoes because, it, you know, like you, they've been, it's been years of dealing with yes. them. 
so I can help myself and say, what is the big picture, all right? Now, there's other times where my husband and I, he likes to do things in his timing, and I like to do things in, I like him to do it in my timing, right? Oh, you're you know kidding. That. Right. You're exactly. kidding. That happens in our relationship, too? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if I say, can you please go do the dishes, I actually mean, Right now, can you please go do the dishes right now? Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't actually mean, can you please do the dishes in five days? I actually mean right now. (laughs) Right now. It's weird. I know. And so in that situation, I'll say to him, honey, will you help me with the dishes? And then if he doesn't do anything in the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'll say, honey, I'm going to do the dishes because it will really upset me if you wait to do these later. I can, you know, can you help me with the dishes or can you not help me with the dishes? Do you see what I mean? I get it to an answer. And then if he mm-hmm. says, I don't want to do it right now, I'll do it in my own timing, I make a decision for myself. Can I tolerate his timing? Will it be at the end of the day or will it be in five days or do I need to do it myself? But see, then I'm taking ownership and it's not a fight. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I. I, I it's so funny because I, I, I'm... I can totally 100% relate to that, you know, and not only with my husband, but with my kids. My thing is when I ask you to do it, I want you to do it right now, not on your own time, right Right. now. Because when they ask me to do something, it's just my nature to just do it, right? For me, it's all about let me just do it and get it out of the way because I don't want to have to be thinking about did I forget to do it or anything. So it's just easier for me to do it right then and it's done and out of the way and then I can move on. But um, so I can totally and I bet to... that you would. I bet you would also say to your child if your child says, "Mom, can you do this?" You'd say, "Honey, I'm going to finish this and then I'm going to do it." So you have a tendency to be very responsible in the way in which you communicate and the way in which you agree to do things. But we aren't mm-hmm. always with people who have that same level of responsibility, right? And so what we yeah. have to do is encourage them to either get onto our page or we have to live with where their page is. Do you understand? The idea is to not have a long-standing unresolved conflict, and that's a part of being in this paradigm shifting and in, in the recognizing each other's paradigm, okay? So for me, my daughter, uh, like you, I'll ask my daughter to do something, and she'll want to do it in her timing, and I'll say, now, honey, when you need me to respond to you right away, um, I do. So when I need you to respond to me right away, I'm going to use a keyword because there may be times it doesn't matter. And I'll say, this is something I need you to do right now. And so then she will get up and do it. Um, Sometimes we'll have those nice little ugly faces that come with them doing it right away. And Mm -hmm. I'll discuss what that feels like. It feels like they don't really want to. And, you know, so this is this idea of staying mindful, talking about what we're really looking for in the relationship, not necessarily being defensive or hateful, but being clear. I don't really like it when she has that negative face when I'm asking her to do something. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel good to me. And I don't use a negative, ugly face when I do things for her. And so I would like our relationship to be, you know, fair in that way, right? So that's right. the sort of stuff we do with adults, too. We would talk with our adult partners and try to get them to be on the same page with us. Yeah, I, I, you know, that, that's great because my kids are grown. So my whole thing is um, with the premise of, you know, you've watched me all these years. You see that when you ask me to do something, I jump and do it. And um, so, therefore, when I ask you to do something, out of all these years, my youngest is 19, she'll be 20, out of all these years, you see how I've responded to you, so I expect you to respond to me. When I ask you to do something, I want you to do it now. And I'm not asking you to make it hard or, you know, anything. It's just something I need for you to do. So it's funny when I have a conversation with my son, um, who who will be 23, you know, I'm like, do you get what I'm saying? Because I will be the type of person that will be, okay, I've asked you once, but I have to ask you another time. It's not going to come out nice. So so I was having this conversation. It's like, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I get it, Mom. But he's like his dad in those shoes, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, okay, obviously that approach is not working. Let me be more aware of how I'm wording things. Let me be more mindful of my approach to get it done. So this is how I, I kind of 
flipped it for him. I did a paradigm shift. Yay for me. Um, but what I said was, now when I need him to do something or want him to do something, if he's, you know, if he's home or he's around the house or whatever, I'll say, you know, honey, can you do this for me? You know, instead of I want, I want you to do this right now or do this, you know, or take out the trash or whatever. It's like, I need your help. Can you do this for me? You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, Mom, sure, I can do it. But if I say, I want you to wash the dishes, you know, and I mean right, I'm thinking, I mean right now, but it just says, I want you to wash the dishes, it doesn't equate. But I say, can you wash the dishes for me right now because I'm getting ready to cook or I'm getting ready to do this? Oh, sure, it's immediate. So I, I like how you said that, and I, I brought that up just for the specific reason because it works. it's working with my kids, doing the paradigm shifting but I don't think it's going to work with my husband after 32 years. It's just, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're like me. I know there's a point where we just accept where they are. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, it's true. Up. I look at the whole picture and I say, okay, I, I'm going to accept you here on the shoes because all these other things are really good. So I'm going to just mm-hmm. live with the shoes. I'm going to deal with it. Right. And I, I find that, so I have an older, I have an older son, he, my stepson, but he's really a son to me. I love him so dearly. And we have the same sort of interactions where I say, honey, I need your help right now. Could you help me with this? And he's very understanding. And if I say I need it right now, he, in fact, will say, he, he once said to my husband, you know, Dad, I learned from Mom long ago that when she asks you to do something in a certain way, there's a really good reason for it. So I don't even question her anymore. You should follow my lead. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Smart boy, smart boy. I know, I know. So the, got the, if you think what, <laughs> exactly, you've got to make somebody a good husband. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. I, I yeah. Okay, it's sorry. True. But yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. I um. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Hold on, Doctor Bass. Um. This is the part of the show that I would like to take the time to thank one of my sponsors, and I have a fabulous sponsor that I want to talk about today, and that sponsor is 21 Drops. And I promise you guys we will get back to Dr. Beth because, you know, I know she – I love her. I I love her to pieces. Um, She seems a lot like me, but back to 21 Drops. So 21 Drops is a modern essential oil company in – they believe that essential oils are the root of it all, benefiting the mind, the body, and the spirit. They know that these essential oils are extracted from the leaves, the fruit, the wood, the seeds, and the flowers of the plant, and they are highly concentrated molecules. Now, interesting enough, essential oils represent a critical part of both the plant's immune system as well as their survival mechanisms. And why that's so important to us is that Man and plants have evolved along each other side by side for thousands of years. And so we kind of have developed the same chemistry in the essence of how we utilize the essential oils. Now, once these essential oils that are extracted from these beautiful plants are either inhaled or absorbed into the bloodstream, they interact with your body, creating balance and wellness. And that is the science of what aromatherapy is based upon. At 21 Drops, they source their essential oils from organically grown herbs or plants collected, collected sustainably from all over, the, all over the globe. And what this does is result the distilled oils being in their purest and most effective forms. The oils that um, 21 Drops select have to be the most customized, most organic sources possible that's available to them because what they do is they take these essential oils and they make blends and they have um, specific blends that treat anything from heartache to headache. And so their philosophy is driven behind the fact that they they harness and, and, and um, capture the incredible essence of the beautiful, pure essential oils that are extracted from these plants, not only for for their therapeutic blends, but also to help empower their friends and their customers to feel better and be better. So if you're looking for a specific essential oil or you're looking for a custom blend or you're looking for a solution that's natural, smells yummy, that can treat anything from headache to heartache, I highly suggest that you tap into 21 Drops. They are on the web. 
It's the number two, the number one, and the word drops with an S.com. It's 21drops.com. I guarantee you will find something very, very beautiful that will help you to create balance and wellness in your life. Now, back to Dr. Beth. So um, with all this fabulous information that you're giving to us with the art of being mindful and practicing awareness and how we can utilize these tools not only in our essence of dealing with people outside of our, of our I want to say, personal family and relationships that might be work colleagues or strangers on the streets, as well as dealing with our own personal family, our kids, our mother, our father, our husbands, and, and all of those that are very, very close to us. What is the cure? What is the what is not the cure? There is no cure for the shoes being left all over the house. But <laughs> what is the, yeah, I, I'm just giving up. Um, what is the core security drive? What are the core security drives, and how, um, with regards to this mindfulness and awareness stuff, how do they how do what how do they affect what we do once we discover and become aware of this? So that's a great question. I'm really, I'm really grateful that you're asking that question. So one of the things that I know is having worked with couples, you know, over 25 years is mm-hmm. that um, people are driven by these original traumas or dramas or uh, paradigms of their lives. And I did a lot of, work with Erickson's um, psychosocial stages and I and when we develop each one of us into who we are in the world we go through these stages of psychosocial development and we learn about whether we can trust or who we are how we see ourselves what our identity is um, whether we feel like we're successful um, and whether or not we are going to be able to partner comfortably and easily these are all parts of Erickson stages. Well, one of the things that I noticed is that when people had difficulty in these stages, it interfered with how they did relationship. Now, it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just that when you have an insecurity that's driving how you do relationship, you're not living in a blissful way. You're not coming from a blissful place. You're coming from a less than limited resources place. It's the opposite of being blissful. And so when we can discern what may be the insecurity that's driving how we do relationship, it makes it easier for us to be more mindful and say, oh, that isn't happening in this situation. I can move from being in a me-style relationship or an I-style relationship into a we-style relationship. And so one of there were five that I identified as being the primary insecurity drivers. Now, people can have just one, or they can have a group, or they may just be uh, a way in which they prefer to be in relationship, but it's not an insecurity driver. So these, I call them maps, and it's like a map of a world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's M, I know, so it's M-A-A-P-S, and they stand for money, achievement, attachment, power, and structure and if yeah it's so nice and one of the nice things about this book is i talk a little bit about how people come into the world a certain way so i talk about temperament styles and then i talk about this idea of these insecurity drivers and there's a that you can actually go through and take a test and get a sense about what may be true for you and uh, for your partner both at work and at home, and it starts to bring you into more mindfulness about where you're going to have the kinds of conflicts that you need to be more mindful about. Um, and so money, somebody who has a money driver obviously either needs to hold on to their money or they're worried about money. Sometimes they do come from an impoverished earlier life, but that's not always true. But it just has to do with how somewhere as they were developing money became like a life force for them. And so they can't easily exchange money. They can't interact in a cooperative way around money. So for achievement, that's another way. That usually comes later in the psychosocial stages um, for Erickson, but it has to do with where this whole idea of industry is one of the stages for the psychosocial 
um, stages. And it's that this person becomes, they feel insecure and then they become powerful every time they achieve something. So they just have to always be achieving, always, always, always achieving. And it makes it so that they have trouble, again, sort of interacting with others in a cooperative way. Attachment Mm. would be obvious, right? Uh, Attachment's the obvious issue of uh, perhaps they lost someone, they have some mistrust from earlier caring, maybe in the first three years of their life, Um, but this idea that they cannot depend on someone to be there for them. So they get strangely attached to the person. That's You Mm. see that a lot with codependency, right? And then power power issues can play out either somebody who's going to be overpowering, over-controlling, but they can also play out as somebody who just doesn't want anyone to be overpowering on them. So they just don't want you to control them. They're not trying to control you, but they don't want you to control them. And so they tend to create these I-style relationships where it's extremely independent. Money is mm-hmm. separated, two separate accounts. We identify who's going to get what picture if we get divorced, those kinds of relationships, Okay. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes power can be what we see as these masochistic relationships or sadomasochistic relationships, which we've seen that play out. Sometimes they're around this kind of issue. And then the final one is structure. And when you take the test, there's all these cons- ideas about that are sort of obsess- obsessive-compulsive, like you need things to be structured in a certain way. But then there's this one line that says, if everything is a mess because you can't, tolerate structure, that means Mm -hmm. you probably have a structure issue. And it usually comes from someone who himself or herself has been over-structured so much that they just can't tolerate any. They get too reactive to it. So these insecurity drivers make it so that a person can't really quite get to that blissful place that we're really trying to encourage people to get to through mindfulness because they're stuck having to live through this historical habitual reaction style. And so as we see that may be something about us or about our partner, we can start to be more mindful and try to work through that in a really loving, compassionate way and move into a more me-style relationship. Wow. Um, we're, we're coming at the end of our time, but um, I was like, oh, my God, I can I can talk to her for another two hours because – I've actually identified myself in every one of those insecurity drivers. Uh, that's a trip. Okay, I'm not supposed to be really aware of that right now, Rochelle, but it's like, oh, yeah, I have that. Oh, I may have an issue with that. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So definitely we'll have to continue this on part two of the show that we're going to do in the near future because this is that alone can just be a show by itself. Because we're coming at the end of our time, it's been so fabulous to have you, Dr. Beth. And um, I just want you to share with people how they can get more of you because you are phenomenal. Um, I, wow. I mean, it's just just phenomenal. Just you guys, she, yeah. Uh, we'll definitely have to have her back as a guest on the show. But right now, share with everyone how they can get more of you. Thanks, Rochelle, and I just want you to know it's been such a joy to be with you. Really blissful, I have to be honest. Thank Um, you. So um, my books are available at Amazon.com, and they um, one is called Turning Me to We, The Art of Partnering with Mindfulness. The other one is called Turning No to On, The Art of Part- I mean, Parenting with Mindfulness. And the, the first one is really the one we've been talking about predominantly, and it's just a fantastic resource to help us, each one of us, just be better um, selves and be more living in a more blissful way. The um, second one I talked about is the parenting book. It just supports parents in the struggle of trying to do the right thing in this kind of multifaceted world. So mm-hmm. Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. I'm on. You can find my website at www.bethgineris.com, and I also have a, a blog site called Instinctive Health Medicine. So instinctive, like your instincts. Uh, dot com and I have it's been such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Rochelle. Thank you, um, thank you, Doctor. I'm writing this down. I was writing all that down. Um, thank you so much. You, again, you were just absolutely phenomenal, and I would love to bring you back um, 
as a guest so that we can explore more about just the core insecurity drivers and continue on because I know you have so much more to share with us. But for now, I think we've filled the plate of those that are listening and given them a ton of great information with regards to mindfulness and awareness and communication and just all kind of stuff that affects us and how taking the information that you disseminated upon us will be able to move forward and uh, really, really begin to enjoy uh, the life that we're meant to live as we walk down our path to bliss. So thank you so very much. And to all of you guys out there listening, I want to thank you for listening. As always, I would like to close the show by wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Have a phenomenal week, and I look forward to having you as listeners Um, on next week's show. So take really good care, everyone. And remember, begin to practice the art of mindfulness and just become aware and watch how things manifest in your life oh so beautifully. But as in closing, I'm Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous. Have a phenomenal, fantastic, fabulous week. Take care, everyone. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson. R-O-C-H-E-L-E Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N or at healthhealingwellness.com or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.